What up, gang? Welcome back. Hope you had a good week last week. Some interesting things happening. Like always, I'm getting ready to go to the airport in about an hour and a half here. So I meant to record this late last night, but we're going to get it out this afternoon. I'll upload it while I'm at the airport. Um, came back to Michigan for two days in between a trip to North Carolina, off to Texas this afternoon. Good times. Good times. Glad to be back uh, out and about, not stuck up, holed up, and just uh, hoping that the government sends me money or some shit, you know? That unemployment gang, what a load, you know? <clears throat> Glad that's over with. Moving on. Um, there was actually an interesting article before I, I, I started recording this. I was just kind of going through some stuff. And I came across this, this article that I think is quite intriguing and pertinent to what we talk about here at the old Cash Pine. It's talking about the average debt for each generation. So millennials, Gen Z, Gen X, baby boomers, and how they compare. So let's go through them. I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll give my own opinions on each of these as we go through, obviously. Uh, because I, I believe some of this. I don't know how much of it. Okay, so... Some interesting facts here. In 2020, the outstanding consumer debt in the U.S. reached $14.88 trillion. Damn, that's a lot. Um, that's more than a $3 trillion increase from 2010's total. Um, represents an average individual debt of $92,727 across the board. So obviously that's going to be skewed because some are going to have more, some are going to have less. So let's go through them. Gen Z, so that's <clears throat> age ranges 18 to 23. Average debt, $16,043. Eighth of that's comprised of credit card debt, with each carrying person an average balance of about $2,000. Honestly, that sounds about right for that point in my life. I wasn't sixteen grand in debt, but I had a credit card balance of like $2,000 at all times, like $1,000 at all times, I felt, through that time of my life. I'm sure that'll go up. But I do think that Gen Z is learning from millennials and how much debt that they went into. And I do think people are getting kind of hip to like college not being the move for everyone. I'm not saying it's not for certain people, like obviously for certain professions, certain things you have to go to, you have to go to school for that. But for a lot of stuff, it's like, dude, just, just do it on your own. Just figure it out. Like I talk about that with investing all the time. That's why I love doing this and talking about it because it's like, I didn't, I mean, I have an accounting degree, and that helps with, you know, reading financial statements and stuff like that and maybe some tax stuff and whatever. But it doesn't have, you know, doesn't mean you can pick stocks right or anything like that. So finance is all just like, you know, you can learn all that shit on your own. Just if you wanted to get into technical stuff like the Japanese candlestick stuff we talk about, like technical analysis, you can do that. Just watch YouTube, read books. But honestly, if you're investing, like I always say, you you know where to put the money. Just invest in companies you believe in. You know they're going to change the future and benefit from that whatever's whatever 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 way the world is heading. Whoever's going to benefit the most from that, that's where you put your money. So, <clears throat> not that not that complicated from an uh and you know when you zoom out. Um, so I think a lot of these younger kids are kind of being like, well, I don't want to go to college, and also a lot of them think they're going to be influencers and like YouTubers. I'm sure that's at an all-time high for that generation. So let's talk about millennials. Ooh, my gang. The people who've just been, uh, had, you know, just have nothing but great, I can't talk. You know, millennials, people that have had nothing but great economic opportunities their whole life. You know, nothing crazy's happened in a millennial's life. Just been peaceful all through high school, peaceful in college. We got to graduate into a lovely economy. Oh, wait, no. 
freshman year of high school, the Twin Towers go down, graduate from high school, going into the worst economy, graduate from college, uh, housing crisis. Oh, and graduate from high school, war, through early college, war. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, good times, you know, good times to save money and things like that. Uh, although I will say if people have put, did put away money in the last 15 years, they've done excellent. But a lot of these millennials have not had the cash, seeing as millennials have an average debt of $87,448. Uh, that's quite a bit. Most of that being student loans, go figure, just under $39,000. Uh, and also, <clears throat> millennials, this, this debt obviously is a lot higher because you're going to factor in some people that are buying houses now in this age group. Because the oldest of millennials turn, what, 40 this year? <clears throat> so... Um, a lot of that's going to be mortgages rolled into that, so I get that. But honestly, of course, you're going to see probably the highest. I think millennials, if anyone in this list that we're going to go through, millennials uh, are getting, for lack of a better term, fucked over the most. Uh, moving on, Gen X, age range is 41 to 56, average debt $140,643. Uh, so I guess, again, just like millennials, adding in some kids, some college debt, some college savings, all that bullshit. Then under the baby boomers, average debt, $97,290. This one I don't believe for a second. If you're a baby boomer and you have an, a debt of $97,290, that has nothing, that has not a loan, by the way. That's not like, not sorry, not a loan, not a, like a mortgage. Like what the hell? How'd you, how'd you accumulate that much debt if you don't have a mortgage? Now, a lot of the baby boomers don't owe much on their mortgage. A lot of them have a lot of personal loan debt, <laughs> what this is saying. An average of almost $20,000 in personal loan debt. But see, that just means they're using that to do other shit. They're just taking out personal loans to buy more houses from people like me, millennials. That's what they're doing. Baby boomers are just buying up more shit. They're like, oh, I have all this extra cash laying around that I made uh, being a janitor. So why don't I buy a third house? Why don't I just do that? That sounds like a, not a bad idea. <laughs> so that's that's so funny that they have a lot of personal loan debt. Because, yeah, they're fucking remodeling kitchens and shit on their third house. But interesting to bring this up because we talk about fintech a lot. A lot of those like, you know, Square, <coughs> Afterpay, which was acquired by Square, Affirm, which we talked about last week. And damn, Affirm, not a stock that I own, but one that I've been talking about and I've been tracking. It just keeps going up. I've missed a couple of buying opportunities because <clears throat> so I've been slow on it. And again, the reason I haven't bought into a firm is simply because I a third, a third of buy now, pay later customers are already defaulting, not paying their shit. And so, you know, that's not, not going to hurt the customer, the, the merchants that partner with them because a firm assumes all that risk after the transaction. The merchant just pays their fee to a firm and then a firm has to collect that money. So, I mean, so far they're reporting good earnings. But if they get to a point where that, you know, they're really, they're proving too many of the wrong people and not collecting their money and just becoming a glorified collections agency, well, that's not good. But I do think a firm is pretty solid and has a lot of growth potential. And if they're, the stock is doing so well, they are now generating a lot of cash that they can use to add to their suite of services, if you will. So they can really start competing with other uh, companies like PayPal and Square. Thing is, is much like we compare to like Tesla and stuff with EVs, I just think Square is so far ahead of the game right now with that. I'm not saying a firm's a bad company. You'll make money. I mean, shit, if you would have bought it last week alone when we talked about it, you would be up like 30% right now. 
because they partnered with Target last week uh, going into the holiday season. So that's going to be huge. I'm sure a ton of people are going to use Affirm at Target and Amazon this holiday season. Uh, so, and by the way, I keep reading to get on your holiday shopping early because of supply chain stuff. Um, yeah, I don't doubt that. I've been trying to buy my mom a coat for a year. I bought her one, had to change it and get a different, um, a different size. And so I've been literally trying to replace it for a year. Still can't do it. So yeah, get on your holiday shopping early. <laughs> supply chains are fucked and buy them with Afterpay and Affirm. So Square, like you said, bought Afterpay for $29 billion, all stock purchase. Again, by the way, keep saying it week after week kind of broken record take advantage of this opportunity of square kind of trading sideways for a little bit it's been going it's been kind of going it it's so funny look at the chart it'll spike up and then spike down and spike it just has so many peaks and valleys and so take advantage of those opportunities when they present themselves square is one of my favorite stocks to buy consistently because it kind of gives you those opportunities to come in at decent prices every so often now that that ceiling keeps getting raised every so often like, you know, you might be sitting around being like, oh, I'm going to wait for $150 or $200. I'm like, ah, that might might be tougher to come in that range prices. But if you see it going down to 230 low 240s, 220s, 210 215 no brainer. Pick up a couple. If it goes a little below her, go in harder. I mean, obviously. And we're seeing more people kind of back that up. Uh, there was, what, two uh, Jefferies and Atlantic both upgraded the stock this week to $300 price targets. That's been my price target since the beginning of the year. Uh, back in January, it was a lot easier to say that when the stock was rocketing up to like 289, almost I think the beginning of the year, and I was like, "Shit, it might be more than 300," but I'll stand by that 300. Um, and again, I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a a. I'm thinking about maybe doing an options play for Square. So again, I talk about do options if you want. They are super risky. You just know what you're doing. But I'm kind of I kind of want to do an options play for Square. Maybe for first quarter, second quarter of next year, because they don't start getting the benefits of that afterpay. Like the afterpay acquisition goes into effect first quarter 2022. So they're going to start seeing earnings and all that stuff reflected from that in that first quarter and that second quarter. So last year, I kind of wanted to do a similar thing once I realized that when Square started doing adding Bitcoin to their app, to the Cash app, you could sell them, you know, buy and sell Bitcoin. Uh, I didn't do it, but I was like, shoot, I should do a call option for the February earnings date because Bitcoin's going crazy. Everyone's buying it. Everyone's bu- a lot of people are buying it on the Cash App. Square's making a ton of revenue for this. So I saw that and was like, shoot, let's do a call option. I forget what the price was at the time. I think 225 I was the call option I was going to do for February 23rd of this year. And I was going to book it. I was going to buy it last fall. Uh, and so that one, I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger on it. I was looking at it. The contract wouldn't have been that expensive. I think it was like 500 bucks, 600 bucks, like to pay it out. And then I would have made, I think like $4,000, $5,000. So I didn't pull the trigger on it. Whatever. You can play the woulda, shoulda, coulda game all the time. But because I didn't pull it that time, I'm kind of thinking, oh, okay, I found this nugget of information about Afterpay going into into effect in early in first quarter 2022. Kind of reminds me of the Bitcoin thing. Maybe do like let's say a 300 strike for February of this next year, 2022. So maybe I'll look into that. Uh, if I if I do it, I'll confirm it. I haven't done that yet. Again, 
like always, like they always say, do your own research, invest for your own reasons. But that's something I'm looking at. If you don't want to do an options contract because they are risky, hey man, just buy the stock. If you don't have any, I would I would recommend buying some right now at two forty two fifty. As of I'm looking at it right now as I'm recording this. Obviously that'll change, but two forty two fifty, not bad. Um, I think sub two fifty is not a bad. If you don't own any Square stock, buy some under two fifty for sure. Um, if it goes back into the two thirties, I might add a couple. So keep an eye on that. Another company that I want to take advantage that you should take advantage of in a current pullback is Airbnb. It's been kind of going rising up the last uh, couple of weeks here, but still at not a bad price. I feel at 174, 175. It went down as low as 135 in July, 130, something like that. I think I bought a couple of shares back in May for my parents' account in the 120s. They have like an amazing price they got on Airbnb cheaper than a lot of the IPO folks um not the initial IPO but if you bought on IPO day at like 150 so yeah I picked up more at 130 kind of mad I didn't pick up a lot more but anyways Airbnb's spiking back up and of course we have another analyst uh saying pretty much exactly what we said in the uh cash pineapples episode the, the the video that we did on Airbnb. If you watch that, this uh, analyst uh, from Cohen, Kevin Koppelman, pretty much said a lot of the stuff that we we did uh, in that video, kind of saying how Airbnb, yes, it's got a high valuation, but because of their business, they're going after a massive market that's a lot bigger than you think. Uh, and they have massive market share already in that. And not only are they doing better, did the pandemic help them do better? They're doing better post-pandemic. They're showing stronger numbers. Um, not only people are not only are people using it for business, they're using I mean for pleasure, they're using it for business. People are using it. I mean, I've talked about this before. Um, you know, when I travel, usually I have a hotel covered when I travel, but if I want to stay somewhere longer, I'm like, hey, maybe I'll stay for two weeks, three weeks, a month somewhere, and I'll just get an Airbnb and just rent that for a month, you know, instead of subletting or something like that. So and also he made the point of how Airbnb can expand their business a lot quicker, uh, because they don't have they don't have brick and mortar. You just need a host. And a lot of hosts are joining in because they can make some baller money. Um, so Koppelman's looking for an upside in Airbnb stock with a price target of two hundred and twenty dollars a share. You know, any rate. I think his current his previous price target was one sixty. So raising it what sixty bucks? That's pretty nice. So his price target two twenty. Airbnb is at one seventy five. I keep saying if Airbnb can continue to beat earnings like they have been. I say by this time next year, they're north of 250. I say they're pushing 300 if they can do three to four quarters of earnings beats. I don't see why not. People will think I'm crazy, but hey, so far so good. We're on the track. So look at those two as something to take advantage of and some pullbacks. Um, something that I you have to be exposed to, we've said it time and time again, is cybersecurity. I am even more uh, a believer in it than before. Cause I just finished reading a book that blew my mind. I highly recommend it. It's called, uh, what was it called? This is how they, this is how they tell me the world ends. The cyber arms weapons race by Nicole Perlroth, I believe is her last name. Um, amazing book. So well written, super entertaining, incredibly informative, mind blowing, scary, all that shit. It's a pretty thick book, but it's so good. You'll, you'll breeze through it. If you really, you know, are into reading, not, not many people are these days, but if that's your thing, dude, get on it. It's so good. Um, it really made me realize that the United States is again behind in their cybersecurity and China and Russia is kind of scare me even more now, 
with what they can do with cyber weapons and basically how this book points out that nation states have been using these cyber weapons for decades against each other and kind of like there almost needs to be another geneva convention to go over like cyber warfare rules like hey you can't hack hospitals during peacetime or you can't hack private uh, business information and it goes into how like apple and google had to really like fight to encrypt their data and tim cook was really pop was really influential on that basically gave the the federal government a middle finger they tried to muscle like muscle him down and say like hey we want a backdoor a backdoor into your software in case we need to and he's like yeah but if if we give you a backdoor that means we're making our software less secure and someone will definitely get through it and then our users are going to be exposed and we can't expose our customers like that and also and also Although these companies are based stateside and they're American companies, they make a shitload of money not in America. You know how many iPhones are sold overseas? You, they can't just give you a, a you know the, they can't just give the U.S. backdoor access to all these iPhones that are in foreign countries and shit like that because the United States would would hundred percent spy on people because they were they were doing that before people like Ed Snowden came out and said hey they're spying on you. And then Apple encrypted all their backend data, and so did Google. Like, basically, when Apple, after that conversation Tim Cook had with the government, he basically said, hey, we're not going to give you a backdoor, and actually, we're going to make our security a lot tighter. And they went and encrypted everything. And so, kudos to them. But they, you can see why they had to do it. But it just shows how important cybersecurity is. And you see why, like, companies like, I talk about Palo Alto, or, Palo Alto Networks all the time. CrowdStrike is mentioned in this book several times. Again, I always say have one or the other. I still think Palo Alto Networks is a, a lot better value. Palo Alto is actually about to pass CrowdStrike in market cap. It's about to be a bigger company. And I st- and it's still undervalued. When you look at the forward PE and you look at the price to sales, still undervalued in comparison to CrowdStrike. So, um, and it's just the more we... The more we automate everything, the more we put computers and everything, it's just dangerous because we're, we're allowing basically, it's like putting more doors on your house. You're just, you're giving more entry points for hackers. They can hack anything. It's why I'm not big on like, I've never really been big on the Google smart homes or the smart refrigerators. Like I don't want a smart fridge. The hell? Like, yeah, but it keeps track of what you buy and reminds you to get milk. Fuck that. I don't want my refrigerator to remind me to get milk. Are you out of your mind? I'm already addicted to my phone enough. I don't need my refrigerator texting me to get milk. I'm not living in that world. I don't No, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Any further, it's just another entry point for a hacker. The the refrigerator just becomes another way they can hack into your, your home network and get whatever the hell they want. No, I'm not down with that. I don't need that. I know Amazon's already making a, they're making a smart fridge that's going to like track what you sell or what you buy and it can like automatically order shit for you. Yeah, it's convenient. I get it. But like these things aren't that difficult. Like it's not that difficult to go to the grocery store. I don't mind going to the grocery store. I don't need to have a robot send me my milk every whatever. I don't even buy milk. Why am I talking about milk? I don't even drink milk. Whatever. Invest in cybersecurity is my point. It's becoming incredibly important more and more. And you can see why. Because we're putting computers in fucking everything. That's why I love my old car. I need to get a new car soon. Hopefully not for another year or two. I've been saying that for forever. But hey, I drive a camera. You can't kill them. Fingers crossed. I feel like, you know, the only way it's going to go down is like a deer is going to hit me or something. Or someone's going to do some damage to it. Like rear end me. And that's going to just, you know, be the end of it. Hopefully not. Knock on wood. But I love my old car because there's no computers in it. There's no, no computers. 
Just a shitty radio. I love it. You know, it's got everything I need. I got power windows, got the air conditioning, it's comfortable, good gas mileage. What more do you need, right? I don't need all that fancy bullshit. It's just more stuff that can break, more entry points, but all that stuff needs to be secure. And think about like what they can do with hacking. I mean, there's I don't want to spoil the book if people want to read it, but there's just so many examples of how damaging it can be, like Russia hacking the Ukraine and just shutting down their entire power grid, shutting down everything. You couldn't use ATMs. You couldn't go to gas stations. You couldn't. There's uh, examples of guys that could hack your car, and they could turn the steering wheel, use the accelerator, change the brakes, do anything with it, remotely even. Um, crazy. And they could do it in record. I mean, in seconds. It was insane. Like it just blows my mind how powerful and how smart some of these people are, how good a lot of these hackers are. And a lot of them are in Russia and Eastern Europe, which is interesting because basically what happened is Putin was like, hey, if you're a hacker, I won't, we, basically Russia won't prosecute hackers as long as you don't hack Russia. As long as you don't hack Mother Russia, they'll let you do what you want. So, of course, a lot of hackers can build skill by having that kind of environment. Um, I know one of my buddies who, uh, you know, he has an online business. He fends off Eastern European hackers all day, every day. He says that's where they all come from. Um, so just interesting and, and you, it's just further proving how important those companies are going to be um i'm pretty well exposed to palo alto networks i want to buy more i don't think i'm going to buy any CrowdStrike just because i'm focused on palo alto but you know get on get on board with one or the other um i think oh and palo alto is joining the nasdaq that was announced this week that's kind of interesting they were on the new york stock exchange now they're moving over to the nasdaq the tech heavy nasdaq uh so that's that's pretty sweet um I don't, it should, I mean, I think it does legitimize the stock a little bit. It didn't make it jump or anything like that, but I do think it legitimizes it. Uh, let's see. Let's wrap up on some of our favorite things. What time we got. Okay. Yeah, this episode might be a little bit shorter. Only reason being, I got to get to the airport. And I'm a boomer when it comes to the airport. I, I don't like to push it. I don't like to get there you know, rushing late. I just like to take my time. I don't mind getting there super early and just relaxing, especially now that I have a broken leg. So I'm still like slow on my crutches with my, my boot cast. So, which is annoying, but people at the airport are super nice about it. And I think today I'm going to request a wheelchair because I'm, I'm taking a check. I'm not taking a check bag. I have an actual little suitcase that I can't really carry on my own with my crutches. So I got to be that guy that, um, gets the wheelchair, which reminds me, I got to make sure I got like tens and fives. All right, cool. I do. Got to make sure you tip the folks, you know, you got to make sure they, you know, don't have someone wheel me around the airport, and not give me anything. feel like an asshole. All right. Tesla breaking out over 800 again for the first time in like six months, seven months, uh, $800 over $800 a share on China deliveries. Last month they sold 56,006 units in China up 27%, uh, month over month. Dan Ives at Wedbush maintains his outperform rating of a thousand dollar price target. Tesla reports earnings on October twentieth, so that's coming up in literally exactly a week. Tesla announced that they're moving to Austin, Texas, twenty twenty two. That kind of wasn't that much of a surprise, right? Um, that's cool. I mean, I think they're still gonna obviously have a presence in California, but like like Elon Musk said, like it's hard to scale in the Bay Area, and the bigger they get the harder it is to, 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 to scale what they want to do in California. A lot of red tape. It's expensive as hell. Not a lot of space. So, hey, man, go to Texas, build all the shit. I mean, Austin ain't cheap. 
but it's going to be a little bit cheaper. You're going to have all the space in the world. And I'm sure, I'm sure there are some back-end incentives that the city gave and even the state gave Tesla to move there, right? You know that's true. It has to be. So anyways, they report earnings in a week. Uh, keep an eye on the stock. Tesla tends to run up before earnings and then do weird things after earnings. Usually it'll sell off and then build back up or it'll pop right away and then sell off. It does all sorts of weird shit. So pay attention to it running up to earnings. If it gets too hot before earnings, just, you know, that could be risky. But I, I do think that Tesla's heading back to $1,000 and more for the rest of the year because uh, it's developing a cup and handle base fo- pattern that was, you know, I don't get into Japanese candlestick too much, but the one that I do notice is the cup base formation. I always say wait for that cup handle to form to buy when you're, you know, when things are going down or a stock is kind of taking a hit, wait for that handle to form, see some life in it, and then kind of help on the rebound. So the last time this this buying pattern formed, it was last, I, almost this exact time last year, if I remember correctly, right around this fall, fall time last year, uh, Tesla formed this buying pattern and it went from about $466 to $900. So this time, the same buying pattern is developing, but we're starting at 800, like maybe just under like 775 is probably where it started. So we're kind of getting that same development and it's like, oh shit. Okay. Uh, you know, very well could run up over a thousand. I know a friend of mine pointed out that that's a lot of volume for $1,300 call options for January. I think it was for January. Yeah, so by year end thirteen hundred, hey, it very well could run up like that. I don't know if I'd want to. I mean, it seems like a little bit uh, wishful thinking, but Tesla has uh, surprised us all for a long, long time. So hey, who knows? But I do think Tesla is is going to be back to a thousand before the end of the year, and next year, because this year there wasn't a ton of stuff announced as far as new products, just kind of updating the self driving really getting like the new factories done in Giga Berlin, Giga Austin. But I think this year was a good time to kind of pick up a little Tesla when you had a chance, when there was buying opportunities that were thrown your way, because now I think we're going to see the rocket ship start to take off next year. So you probably have like this year to still pick up some shares. Uh, if you don't have, you know, enough or any, um, I think you still have some time to pick up a few before year end because next year I think we're going to see a lot of action with the stock going quite high because that's when you should see a lot more production out of Giga Berlin and Giga Austin and new products like mainly the Cybertruck. So uh, this could be the time to get in before it kind of goes back on a run. So keep an eye on that. And also we talked about Novonics last week. Uh, Novonics, a stock I've been talking about since January. We, I, I kind of said how it got so run up. I was wondering what was going on. Like it was up to $5 or something like that. No, $6.18 recently. Damn. It's now kind of cooled back off to $3.75. I'm trying to find a good entry point to pick up more. Maybe low threes. I'd like to get it under three, but under three might be tough. Post Philip 66 acquisition. Uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, uh, Philip 66 massive energy company bought 16% of Novonics for $150 million, kind of putting a floor on the stock at about two bucks. So uh, it's not going to go much lower than that ever, I feel. So if I can get it under three, great, but maybe under 350, I'll pick up a little bit. We'll see. I want to get a little bit more because I do think Novonics is going to benefit from a lot of the stuff going forward. They, they basically manufacture the materials for batteries. Uh, so, and battery testing technology, 
and like we say, they have Jeff Don, the Don of battery technology, who also has Tesla ties, still under contract with Tesla, researching, working with Novonics. Um, but one of the reasons why I think Novonics was running up recently, in addition to the Philips 66 acquisition, I was speculating who else might be buying some, but I came across an article that said that Novonics had submitted to be added to the NASDAQ in uh, early May. So maybe that means that maybe some of this action is someone knows something. Maybe they are going to get added to the NASDAQ. That'd be incredible if they got added to a major index because as it stands now, they're a pink sheet stock, which means they're simply not a part of a major index. So they're risky. I know a lot of people think Wolf of Wall Street when they think pink sheet stocks. So they're normally risky, but this is not, to me, it's, yes, it's a pink sheet, but it's not a traditional pink sheet stock because of what they're doing, who they have behind them. To me, yes, it is technically a pink sheet stock, but it's not risky like most traditional ones. So that's the only reason why I have the stock. It's the cheapest stock I own in my portfolio. Technically, it is the riskiest, but it's also the one I'm up the highest this year. So, hey, who knows? But we just, again, we're not looking at technicals with Novonics. We're just looking at, hey, I believe in this technology. I believe in their be their be them benefiting from this massive shift in EVs. Like, where's the world heading? Who's going to benefit from it? Simple formula. Novonics fits perfectly into that. They have great leadership behind them. They have made great partnerships. Another thing we talk about that's important to look for. Partnering with Philips 66, working with Tesla, working with, you know, um, the best of the best in the EV world. So keep an eye on it. Um, I haven't bought any Novonics shares since $1.50, I think, or $1.70. So I don't think I'm going to get that price ever again. Like I said, sometimes you just got to accept that you're going to have to raise your cost average a little bit. But I think uh, Novonics is, is going to be a good company to hold on to for the next five to 10 years. As these EVs continue to boom, as electric technology continues to boom, they're going to benefit from it. So get yours. You know what I'm saying? A couple other stocks too before we go uh, that I haven't looked at. Well, I have been tracking, haven't bought. Twitter. I'm interested in Twitter. You know, I think the whole... Um, they're having trouble monetizing as much as like Instagram and Facebook, obviously, but I do still think Twitter has a lot of value and, um, a lot of, I know they're, I know they're starting to like mix in crypto with it and Bitcoin. I do a lot of like finance stuff on, on, uh, Twitter. I like Twitter because it gives you a feel of what the sentiment is on whatever, whether it be like politics or like cultural things or movies or this or that, like, Twitter is a good place to get the feel for anything. And I use it a lot for finance. Just like you can type in like certain stocks and just see what people are talking about. See different analysts, what they're talking, what they're charting, what they're saying. It's so amazing how much more public this information is before because all these people just want attention, which makes sense. I get it. Like a lot of these analysts now are just putting out their stuff publicly and on Twitter and everywhere they want because they just want attention. They want to like, you know, they're investors, but they also want to get like, everyone wants to be an influencer these days. Everyone wants to be a YouTuber or whatever, you know? And I feel the same thing coming out of this finance world. So, uh, but hey, take advantage. It's free information. Why not? Um, I don't own Twitter, so I, I might might get a couple of shares. We'll keep an eye on it. Again, don't own a firm. That's probably the stock I'm, I'm most looking at to buy next that I don't own currently as a firm. Um, 
And then I've been throwing money at Palantir as it gets. And admittedly, I don't know a ton about Palantir. It's just something I come across on finance Twitter. And I see people say good things about it. Basically, they do a lot of like government contracts and a lot of dystopian shit that I probably don't agree with. But I always say, usually the, usually the more dystopian a company, the more successful they're going to be for the future. Just, that's just the way shit's heading. We live, in a weird, we live in a weird world, you know? So know that and maybe buy some palantir <laughs> so because as it goes down in, in price i uh i try to pick up a few more here and there and it tends to like in the low 20s i think is a good buy i bought it like 21 and i don't think i've been down on it much since knock on wood um and they're just a, everyone says they're a long play take advantage of a couple of shares while they're while they're lower hey why not 20 bucks 20 some bucks you want to throw a couple bucks at a stock that's uh you know could be risky but probably not as risky as as folks say i always say it's like um, you know, find a better lottery ticket. You know, I see people always doing dumb shit with their money. It's like, Hey man, throw 20 bucks over here see what happens. I might start doing that with some of these crypto coins, by the way, I was talking to that with a friend of mine this last week where it's like, man, I should just go through every coin on Coinbase and buy a hundred dollars of all of them. Truly. Cause I'm sick of seeing these. Like if you just invested 30 cents in Shiba coin yesterday, you'd have $90 billion. And it's like, okay, what the fuck is going on? I'm just going to throw a hundred bucks at all of these and see what the, see what happens. Cause this is getting ridiculous. It's insane. I'm sick of hearing these stories. So that's my, that's my, uh, my tip of the week, my hot tip of the week, go put a hundred in every dumb shit coin out there and see what happens. Right. I mean, I've done dumber shit in my life. I've wasted a thousand dollars, $2,000 on dumber shit. Right. So just put all the fish. Like, it's like, put all the lures in the water, baby, put them all out there and see what happens. Reel them in. Come on back. Catch me some Shiba coin. I don't even know what that is. Is that a coin? That's the one I think that was recently going crazy. I don't give a shit. I got a flight to catch. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. Subscribe. Thanks for listening. If you have questions, always send them to me. I'll go through them. I didn't this week because, again, uh, mostly because I'm lazy and trying to get out of here. But if you have questions or individual stocks you want me to look at, let me know. I always like to see what people are looking at. Um, and, hey, sometimes I buy stuff that people recommend. So send them over. All right. Have a good week. Bye.